0: Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another Headlines episode here on the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. Here on Headlines episodes, we take the need-to-know environmental news headlines, we condense them, we wrap them up in a pretty bow, and we learn what we need to know in 15 minutes or less. Now, today... Our stories are related to our oceans and our wetlands. So, what's going on in the oceans? What do we need to know? That's what we're discussing today. So, let's start off today and talk about the seafood, the fish that you're paying for. Well, recent research suggests that you are very likely a victim of seafood fraud. That's right, my friends. What you are buying may very likely not be what you're getting. Studies estimate anywhere between 16 on the low end to 75% on the high end of seafood that's sold in the United States is mislabeled. So what does this look like? This looks like a more expensive fish being swapped out for a lower value substitute. It's there. It's in the case. It's Displayed and it looks so lovely. It says monkfish, let's say, but it's actually tilapia. But mislabeling can also go beyond that. It could be mislabeling the origin of the seafood, it could be misrepresenting the weight, it could be charging consumers more for less of a product. And this happens up to 75% of all seafood sold. Now, certain types of seafood are more at risk for seafood fraud. White fish is especially difficult to tell apart. So a red snapper, it's a high value. You pay a lot for it, and it's a very popular fish. Red snapper is often swapped out for tilapia. (laughs) So you're looking at it. It says red snapper. It has a red snapper price, but you're getting tilapia. Blue crab, mahi-mahi, and Atlantic cod, those are also more at risk for seafood fraud. They're also more vulnerable to illegal and unregulated and unreporting fishing. And so what's the problem here? Number one, you're paying for something and getting another completely different thing. So there's a financial cost, right? There's also the environmental or ethical potential harms, you could be getting something that was caught under circumstances where there might not be environmental or social harm in the supply chain. And so if you're a normal human being, you're probably listening to me talk right now and you're saying to yourself, the people who get fooled, they're idiots, (laughs) right? I can look at a piece of fish at the fish counter and I know what I'm buying. Well, if that's the thought that's going through your mind right now, I gently suggest that you hold up, pull back. Experts, fish experts have tried to use sight to identify the difference between different species of fish. And guess what? Whether they're in their fillet form or whether they are in chunks, it is nearly impossible for the experts to tell the difference. So now I ask you, are you still super confident in your fish identification skills? So the Washington Post this week released a few tips to buy seafood like a more informed consumer. And we're gonna go through a couple of them right now, but I just wanna say that Thursday's episode, so next Thursday on the podcast is how to buy Seafood, like an informed consumer, we're not going to get into all of it today. You have to stay with me and come back on Thursday. But what are the Washington Post's tips? Number one is if that little card that's in front of the filet, it should very clearly state the species. It should state the scientific name of the seafood that you might buy So if a fish is labeled only as rockfish, let's say, you need to ask the person behind the counter for more detail because that rockfish could be any number of species. And sometimes that general term rockfish gets used to describe a whole range of things. So that's tip number one. Tip number two You should also be able to determine what country your seafood is from. It should say it on the tag. If you're buying fresh, never frozen seafood and its origin is not clear, you again need to use your voice and ask. And if you're buying packaged seafood, so something in a refrigerated case, let's say, that Packaged product should note the product's country of origin. And if the labeling doesn't say, your spidey sense should be going off tenfold. Now, one final way to potentially discern whether the fish you're buying is the fish you want to (laughs) buy, check the price. If you buy seafood regularly and you're familiar with its standard pricing, How much the product costs could be another detail to pay attention to. So if you're normally buying wild-caught salmon for $15 a pound and all of a sudden it's $11 a pound, interesting, what's going on there? Is that super special salmon or is it mislabeled? Now, again, next Thursday's episode is all about buying seafood like an informed and conscious consumer. So if you want more tips, Come back and see me next Thursday. Let's move on to our next story, which is all about what's going on with the oceans and what the warm oceans, particularly the warm Atlantic, forecasts for our hurricane season. So what do warm oceans mean? Warm oceans mean hurricanes, and that's because warmer waters provide extra fuel for hurricanes. This potentially leads to the formation of stronger storms. And so while hurricane season is technically three months away, it technically starts on June 1st, in parts of the tropical Atlantic, right now, as of February 16th, it's feeling like we already might be in the thick of hurricane season. Yes, that's right. In a very specific strip of ocean where many cyclones are born, right now's February ocean temperatures are closer to what scientists would expect to see in July. So what am I saying here? I'm saying, now brace yourself, I'm saying that a powerful hurricane season may indeed very likely be yet to come. Now, when it comes to hurricane seasons, seven of the last eight hurricane seasons have been above normal. And by the way, this is what we mean by climate change. We're talking about weather patterns that consistently become more extreme and unpredictable. But anyway, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, but it's an El Nino year. It's not that serious. Well, hold up. El Nino climate patterns tend to create conditions that inhibit Atlantic cyclone formation. So let's not bring El Nino into it. While El Niño increases wind shear, wind shear is that force that disrupts hurricanes' columns of rotating winds, El Niño tends to discourage wind shear. So that means that El Niño clears away the path for storms to organize and strengthen. And guess what? scientists see an increasing likelihood that El Niño patterns will replace El Niño by late summer or early fall. So you do the math. Now, it's still too early to say whether the ocean warmth will persist into hurricane season or will persist when El Niño arrives, but here's the point that I want you to take home today. Together, these trends suggest that an active and extreme hurricane season is likely going to be difficult to avoid this year. Yes, this year, in three short months. Now, I must say here, too, the warm weather in the tropical Atlantic is indeed part of a global pattern of record sea surface temperatures. The planet's average sea surface temperature reached an all-time record high of 70.2 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 21.2 degrees Celsius on February 9th. Now, meteorologists say it is too soon to panic, but you might need to panic. It's also too soon to understand as to why the Atlantic Ocean in particular is warming at a faster pace than others, but stay vigilant, my friends, and especially stay vigilant to my friends on the coastal south. We're going to take our quick ad break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss Louisiana's coastal wetlands. I'll see you in a minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, HomeThreads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection And we're back on today's show. We're discussing the oceans. And before the break, we discussed, number one, seafood fraud. We also discussed the predictions for hurricane season here in the United States. It's not looking good. And now we're on to our third and final story today, which has to do with Louisiana's coastal wetlands. Scientists say these coastal wetlands are ready and primed to completely collapse And so let's talk about change for a minute. If change, external change, is slow and happens over time, we can adapt. Can we not? Think about any change that's occurred in your life. It's been slow. It's been incremental. You've been able to adapt. However, if the change is rapid and unexpected, that adaptation becomes harder if not impossible. Enter new research published just yesterday which found that rapidly rising oceans are wreaking havoc on Louisiana's coastal wetlands. These rapidly rising seas could devastate three-quarters of the state's natural buffer against hurricanes in the coming decades. So we just talked about hurricanes. Now we're talking about rapidly deteriorating coastal wetlands. So put those two stories together as we talk about the new research. The new research does document how a sudden burst of sea level rise over the past 13 years, which, by the way, is the type of surge that we would not expect to see, according to climate projections, until later this century. We've seen them. But this burst of sea level rise has left the overwhelming majority of Louisiana's coastal wetland sites in a state of current or expected drowning. So what does it mean when a wetland drowns? Fun fact time. I live on the East Coast, and we have A long period of time, a long stretch of time between high tide and low tide. If you live in the Northeast, you know what I'm talking about. But along the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, it's different. The range between high tide and low tide is small compared to the East Coast. So what does this mean? This means that wetland grasses in Louisiana in particular, they grow at heights that is just a bit above the average daily water level. So these wetlands, they naturally spend some time completely underwater during high tide, and that's when they're nourished by the sediment, by the floating water. But if the sea starts to rise too quickly, that same wetland in which historically parts of the wetland were sticking out of the water during low tide, that same wetland will spend more and more time underwater and not necessarily just at high tide, also during lower parts of the daily tidal cycle as well. And here's the key. At some point, all that submersion becomes too much submersion. The plants will literally drown when there's too much water for too long in the day. And so research into this study, which again was published yesterday, arrived at their findings, which again, their findings were that a collapse is looming for Louisiana's coastal wetlands. They arrived at this finding based on measurements of sea and wetland heights at 253 sites throughout coastal Louisiana. They found that over the past decade, about 90% 87% if I want to be completely truthful, but 87% of the monitoring sites are unable to keep pace with the rising water level nearby. And so you might be thinking, gosh, I have so much to worry about. I can't also think about Louisiana's coastal wetlands. And I hear that. I got an awful lot to worry about. The worries are immense. However, I want you all and myself as well to remember that it's not just about storm protection. Although storm protection, hurricane protection, strong coastlines, they are hugely important in a hurricane-prone area. But it's also about the fact that the wetlands draw tourists. So there's an economic issue here. It's also about the fact that the wetlands provide habitats for birds and fish. They also naturally filter out pollutants from the water. They also naturally store carbon. So there are major ecosystem issues at play as well. And so now maybe, and it is indeed a possibility, I must mention it, in efforts of being comprehensive, there is a a small possibility that the current bout of rapid sea level rise is indeed partly caused by a natural oceanic cycle. It may subside, and if so, the wetlands may catch a break. They may bounce back. Sea level rise is indeed expected to continue to accelerate, not just in the Atlantic, not just in the Gulf, but around the world throughout this century. This new study does indeed find, however, that Louisiana could lose 75% of its coastal wetlands by 2070. That's our show today. I'll see you Tuesday for your regularly scheduled interview. As always, if you need me, please reach out. I love hearing from all of you. Can I just say, I feel like I'm standing alone. Nobody loves what I love. Nobody wants to talk about what I want to talk about. But when I hear from you listeners, I feel so much more connected. So if even if you just want to email me or DM me and just say, hey, I'll say hey back. And that means a lot in 2024. So i will see you Tuesday. On Tuesday, we are discussing how to break cycles about gendered work, essentially. That's the bottom line on Tuesday. And on Thursday, we're discussing the seafood conundrum, how to buy seafood better. I'll see you then. Reach out if you need me and take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?